Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, buddy. How are you doing? It's been a while since our last chat, but here we are once again, fresh and more fit than ever. So, as you can probably expect, it's time to talk some hockey again. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, the NHL dog days are currently underway on the other side of the pond, so there hasn't been an astronomical amount of headlines that we would need to cover. But just so that we won't fall off the wagon, I will tackle the most burning topics from past weeks, such as some retirement and signing news, plus the Alex Debrinka trade, which pretty much materialized right as I was downloading the 80th episode to the World Wide Web. And since the 2022-2023 season is officially in the books, and since I've totally forgotten to recap my preseason predictions, that spectacle will highlight this week's show, so fairly easygoing episode up ahead after a few pretty packed shows riddled with signings, trades and whatnot, so today we will ease the slack a bit and just enjoy the calmness of the current hockey world. With that said, the table has been set for this week's show. Check out the media handles from the description and leave a 5-star rating for the podcast, just so that the next guy who aimlessly happens to land in this sphere can find a place where no one is criticized, except, of course, if you are a Leafs supporter. And I'm just joking, I love you as much as anyone else, so don't turn off the episode just yet. But without further ado, DJ, you know the deal. Let's get going. Okay, my absolutely favorite beekeeper. It's time to start welding the iron. So first, let's start with the Debringa trade since that was already on the table in our last episode. And if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, I highly suggest you do so, because those two will feature every trade and free agent signing up until July 10th, so put those in the afterburner after you suffered through this week's show. So, Stevie Y finally decided that it was time to end the rumor mill and grab the American sniper Alex DeBringet from Ottawa and sign him to a four-year contract extension carrying a 7.875 million annual cap hit. In exchange, the Saints acquired middle six forward Dominic Kubalik and his 2.5 million cap it for the next year, promising blue line prospect Donovan Sebrango, who the Wings drafted in the third round in 2020, plus 2024 fourth round selection and a conditional 2024 first round pick. And if you are wondering what the condition is, you might as well head to Cap Friendly, because frankly, even I ain't sure what the condition is thanks to loophole after loophole which makes even mind reading seem like an easy job at this point. And as you know, I don't like to call out any winners or losers right after trades since we can only look backwards with certainty and see what these players have been capable of in the past, but since the future is always in doubt, I will only comment on the pieces on the move, but that should be pretty clear to you if you've been on this roller coaster for more than just a week. So let's start breaking this down from Detroit's perspective and as you can probably expect, I see this as a huge W for the upcoming Wings organization, whose future timeline sits fairly well with their most recent addition. The Brinket will turn 26 later this year, and their contract situation is in pretty decent shape where Raymond and Sider will be the big names that will get the races sooner rather than later. 
And if Iserman plays his cards right, we could anticipate seeing two long-term papers being handed to these two young guns before the fat lady snores, or however the saying goes. Sings. I know it's so relaxed, but I haven't suffered that much brain damage. Yet at least. Although you may suggest otherwise. But I mean, what else can you say? Since breaking into the NHL, the guy has had only one sub-50-point campaign and that happened back in 2020 and has almost been a surgical 30-goal scorer, so if they've been looking for additional goal contributions, they certainly have received some with this deal, no doubt. And although his numbers took a small hit from last year, he was still able to put up 66 dots in 82 games mostly with second-line minutes, so... When he's ejected to their first line alongside Larkin, who just finished the year one point away from 80 dots, I would expect to see some carnage and these two to break the 80-point threshold already next year. Raymond will put up north of 65 points if healthy next year as well, so let's chat again next spring when this prediction becomes reality. So, a big W for the Wings in both aspects, acquisition and extension-wise, and once again, some of you could at this point say that this was a straight-up steal for the Wings if you don't know what kind of a player Zebrango is. But let me intervene here and tell you a few facts about the situation which might alter your vision a bit. And if not, call savers, I'm sure that they have some kind of discounts that will benefit you as well. So first and foremost, the fact is that we knew long before this move materialized that Dev Brinkett was on his way out of Ottawa, which drops his trade value and forces the sense to give a small discount in order to get a deal through. And that by itself is a major factor like we've seen in 2023. Teams that have the leverage will use and abuse their power in these trade talks. Second of all, Currently, Detroit possesses one of the deepest defensemen pipelines in the entire league, featuring upcoming names such as William Wallinder, Simon Edvinson, Albert Johansson, Emil Viro, and Shai Buyum, who are all left-handed on top of names like Tuomisto and Sandin Pelleka, who are seeking their way onto their NHL roster in the future. And this doesn't mean that Zebrango was a left-thrower, absolutely not. He more than likely belonged to the second category behind Wallinder and Edvinson, who are world-class talents, who they were not willing to give up. So, in that case, you end up giving up quantity over quality, and unfortunately, Zebrango ended up being the guy the Saints were most interested in. And yes, his second full season against men wasn't filled with bright lights and fireworks, but his game is so versatile that I would be surprised if he couldn't find his way onto an NHL lineup at some point. He more than likely won't become this monstrous offensive blue line force, but you don't that often see guys that have represented their country in every age class fall short. That of course happens every once in a while, but when we are talking about Zebrango and his comprehensive 200-foot game, I don't see that happening and I'm intrigued to see him alongside their other upcoming blue line names such as Sanderson, Bernard Docker, Cleveland. Thompson and Nordberg. So, in a sense, he now has more room to maneuver future-wise, but certainly that doesn't mean that the road would be any easier, so hopefully he now gets much-needed minutes on the AHL level and continues to push towards the NHL lineup next season. But overall, I'm a big fan of his game and have moderate expectations for the future on his part, and oh yeah, I was supposed to tell you that why this isn't a total fleece job, Thirdly, 
the conditional pick could be top 10 selection in 2024 or 2025, either through Detroit's total collapse or Boston's predictable downfall from the top. So I guess that leaves some skepticism on the table, but first rounder is always first rounder, just like 20 bucks is 20 bucks, if you know what I mean. And lastly, Kubalik isn't a total scarecrow on the ice since he can give you approximately 20 to 25 goals per season depending on the contract bonuses. And just last year missed his career high 46 dots by one point, so if he ends up playing alongside Josh Norris and Drake Patterson on their second line and get some power play time, we could see him reaching 50 points, but that would mean that everything goes exactly according to plan. So, in that sense, it's obvious that the Sens lost a lot in the Bringit, but he was on his way out regardless, so his fate was already decided weeks before this move came to existence, and apparently this affects their future outlook quite massively since if Norris does end up on the IR next year again for weeks or even months, this team could be in trouble because scores are not that easy to find and you can only expect so much out of your top guns Tutsla, Kachuk, Giroux and Bathers. But, and this is a big positive but, if Shane Pinto finally starts to consistently find the back of the net and Norris stays healthy for most of the year, they won't miss the Brinkett's goal contributions that much because those guys will match the output. And I ain't even kidding with that statement. So when considering the fact that the Sens had to sell the Brinkett on a discount, I think the return ain't that bad, but certainly right now the deal looks way better for the Wings fans than it does for the Sens supporters. And yeah, by the way, before we move on to contract front, the Tampa Bay Lightning ended up trading the triple champ himself, Patrick Maroon, to Minnesota for a 2024 seventh round pick and sent forward prospect Maxim Saikovic to Twin Cities as an add-on as well. And while we're on the topic, the Jets also acquired 2019 Sharks second round pick Artem Ignizia from Winnipeg in exchange for another defenseman Leon Gawank. So in total, two blue liners ended up changing destinations who have still some upside left when it comes to NHL projection. But those have been the hot trade topics of the past couple of weeks and next we will tackle the contract front since most of the teams have been handing out deals so therefore I think it would be wise to keep you up to date on that front as well. And at this point I'm going to throw a shameless plug to my show's IG page under the handle the drop underscore pascus. I've been quite busy with that project in recent weeks so if you want weekly updates regarding prospects and free agent signings, trades and whatnot, go right ahead and press the follow button because by doing so, you get two more centimeters to your Punisher. So try it and send the results to your battle buddy because every guy can appreciate an occasional sausage pick. Am I right? Yeah, let's just digress. So there have been lots of signings and since some teams have already started to ink down their this summer stop picks, we might as well go over those first before we move to other miscellaneous signings that have affected teams' outlooks across the board. So the names that have secured their first pro bags from 2023 draft class currently include names Leo Carlson, second overall pick by the Ducks, no surprise there, Anton Wahlberg, 39th overall pick by the Buffalo Sabres, a powerful two-way center with Lather Richter and middle six upside. Felix Angerserum, 62nd overall pick by the Carolina Hurricanes, gifted playmaker with some boom potential if offensive numbers translate to pro levels. Connor Bedard, the unanimous first overall selection by the Chicago Blackhawks, cashed his 4.5 million AAB check at the local bank last week. And if you're currently thinking that I'm talking nonsense here right now, because all ELCs are capped at current 950k mark. 
You're absolutely right, and I've acknowledged that, but there's this small thing called bonuses, which will amount to a total of 4.5 million per season. And they include, for example, a bonus for inseminating every 10 within 100 kilometer radius during the off-season. A bonus for keeping the United Center organist employed for the next 15 years. And a bonus for highlighting the next Sports Illustrated magazine on top of the obvious signing bonuses. So, yes, I'm still inhabiting the same planet as you. The ninth overall selection, Nate Danielson, was also signed to his ELC by Stevie Y and the Detroit Red Wings. And he will be amongst the top point getters in the WHL next year, no doubts about that. LA's 54th overall selection, the Czech refrigerator Jacob Dvorak also got his first paycheck from the Kings. Montreal signed their controversial 5th overall pick David Reinbacher to his 3-year entry-level deal, which means that we could see him in the bright lights already next year, just like their last year's European top pick Juraslav Kovsky did. Nashville Inc. two out of their top four selections as they signed defenseman Tanner Molendijk and forward Callan Lynn to their three-year entry-level sheets. San Jose Sharks signed their early second-round selection Kasper Haltonen and the remaining three ELCs from past couple of weeks went to Seattle's first-round selection Edward Saleh, Pittsburgh's third-round pick Emil Pieniniemi, and finally the Knights' late first-rounder David Edstrom. And in addition to these, the Ducks also signed their 2022 second-round choice Noah Warren to his three-year paper, who looks to be their next right-handed shutdown option on the blue line. While Seattle signed their last summer's fourth-round pick Tucker Robertson to his ELC, who was amongst the top point-getters in the OHL last year. So, that is pretty much the list of young names that can start to wonder if they should invest their first paychecks in new Gucci shoes, G-Wagon, or just pass the nut on Red 7 or Black 17 next time they hit the tables. And just for clarification to all you Sound of Freedom buffs, that was a roulette reference and not connected to women or kids, so hang up the emergency call. And then we start to go over the remaining deals that have been signed within recent weeks, and since 28 teams out of 32 have been involved, we are going to breeze through these since we got other places to be this week. And by the way, we are going to go team by team, so if you notice that some teams are missing, well, then you know at least who have slept on the job, so to say. Anaheim up first, and their recent deals have just involved their own prospects as first Benoit Olivier Giroux, who appeared on their NHL lineup at the back half of the season, was handed a one-year league minimum deal. And soon after, they inked the possible John Gibson replacement Lucas Dostal to a two-year extension with 812.5k annual value. So with that, it's pretty much now official that even if Gibson would end up leaving Orange County, Dostal will be part of their next year's tandem, and it shouldn't be all that surprising given that he dressed in 19 games for them already this past year, and has been labeled as their next starter on the top level. Arizona, on the other hand, kept loading depth to their roster as they signed defenseman Travis Dermott and forward Jack Sanford to one-year 800k deals, and later extended their third-string goaltender Ivan Prospetov for the next season with league minimum salary. The only guy that stood out from the crowd, though, ended up being their young Finnish forward Matthias Macelli, whose new deal reached the 3 million mark as Bill Armstrong put pen on paper to keep him in desert for the next three years with 3.425 million cap hit. The cap crunch Bruins, though, focused on keeping their young pieces in place and handed out one-year league minimum extensions to newly acquired defensemen Alec Regula, Ian Mitchell, and Riley Walsh who was acquired from New Jersey in a minor league trade involving forward Shane Bowers, who was headed to Newark in exchange. 
In addition, they also snagged Swedish winger Jesper Bolqvist from the free agent list and signed him to a one-year league minimum deal to bring some depth to their middle and bottom six. Buffalo's only contract extension was handed to Linus Weisbach, who had a great sophomore season in the AHL and in a perfect world. If his trajectory follows the same path as Peterka and Quinn, we could see this undersized playmaker on their NHL roster at some point. Carolina then decided to add some meat into their bottom six by acquiring physical fault liner Brendan Lemieux from the free agent market with one-year 800k deal. And Colorado ended out four-year 4 million extension to Ross Colton, who was previously acquired from Tampa Bay earlier this summer. Dallas extended their middle six option Todd DeLandria with one-year 900k sheet, while their promising AHL name Riley Damiani was handed one-year lake minimum deal as well. And the same trend continued in Edmonton, who extended their former second-round selection Rafael Lavoie, who took a significant step this year production-wise in the AHL, which more than likely brought some hope to their management group. While Florida signed their 2019 third-round selection John Ludwig to a two-year extension, who is one of the main candidates to be highlighted on their NHL roster in case of injury strike the team at some point next year. Kings also continued on that same path as they first signed their promising DM prospect Tobias Bjornfoot to a two-year contract extension with league minimum salary, and later on in Canada's world junior hero Akil Thomas to a one-year contract extension. And no, we ain't gonna skip Minnesota this time since, believe it or not, they've finally done something in the offseason and that something was re-signing Brandon Duhame for the next year with 1.1 million cap it, so... Tuck down your boner, cause that's all you're getting. Montreal signed their acquisition Alex Newhook to a four-year 2.9 million deal, so lots of steel potential there. Nashville grabbed Denis Guriana from the free agency by signing him to a one-year 850k deal, while New Jersey posted their bottom six by adding Chris Tierney for the next year with league minimum deal, plus Thomas Nozick with one-year 1.1 million sheet. And now that Uncle Lou had finally emailed his assistant the ridiculous extension details, he was off to Riviera and the assistant Steve Pellegrini stepped in and negotiated extensions with Oliver Wallstrom and their goaltender prospect Jakub Skarek. Wallstrom was handed one year 874k show me kind of deal, while Skarek was extended for the next two years with league minimum salary, but that should enable him to slowly work on his game in the minors and step in once Semyon Valama heads out of Long Island. Rangers Inter left-handed defenseman Keandre Miller to a two-year 3.872 million bridge deal, and I can guarantee you that his next paycheck will easily surpass the 5 million mark once this deal comes to its end. Meanwhile, the Sens extended their goalie prospect Kevin Mandelis, who made his NHL debut this season for the next year as well. Billy handed out two-year extensions to Noah Cates and Cam York, who both had underrated seasons in Pennsylvania while the Penguins gave former first-round pick Ty Smith another chance with one-year league minimum deal, so needless to say, his time is starting to run out in the NHL if he can pick up the pace next year with the team that is looking to return to the playoffs after this year's collapse. San Jose Sharks took a flyer on Philip Sedina with one-year 1.1 million deal whose previous contract was terminated by the Red Wings just a few days earlier, while Seattle focused on locking down their future decor as Gail Fleury, Will Borgen, and Winston earned new sheets from their GM Ron Francis, and even their former second-round selection Cole Lind was given another chance to prove himself with one-year league minimum contract.
flourished the little carry 800k cap hit while Morgan's paycheck featured 2.7 million annual value, which is very well deserved thanks to his strong performances during this year's campaign. And same goes with their first pairing defenseman Dunn, who had a breakout year on their blue line this year and due to it, his future value was dragged up to 7.35 for the next four years, so he won't have to worry about his children's college tuitions anymore. St. Louis decided to bring back Oscar Sandquist with one-year league minimum deal, and alongside it, they extended Russian power forwards Alexei Toropchenko stay in Missouri for the next two years with 1.25 AAV sheet. Tampa then decided to keep their deadline acquisition Tanner for the next two seasons with 2.665 million cap hit. Then Canucks proved their belief in Neil Zerglander by handing him a two-year extension with 1.1 million annual value. While the Knights decided to keep Red Howden and Pavel Dorofeyev in Sin City, Howden will earn 1.9 million for the next two years, while Dorofeyev's contract will carry 825k AAV, which in all honesty is just a bumper contract because he's expected to take a bigger role on their lineup next year thanks to the departure of said Riley Smith. And finally, we have the Winnipeg Jets who handed out contract extensions to their playoff warrior Morgan Barron, who got two-year 1.35 million sheet, and a few days later, to their off-season acquisition Gabe Villardi, whose next deal will carry a 3.438 million cap hit for the next two years, so he as well is looking towards a major salary increase after this deal comes to its end. So that is pretty much the wrap-up when it comes to contract updates from the past couple of weeks, and just before we start to digest my preseason predictions, I have to mention the two somewhat notable retirements that were announced just last week. As first, German goaltender Thomas Kreis announced his departure from the sport after 14 seasons in the bright lights. And a couple days later, 15-year NHL veteran Nate Thompson announced his retirement, so big congrats to both of those guys for their long NHL careers. Now though we start heading towards this week's entertainment section in which we will go through my preseason predictions and how we are going to do it is by going team by team and recapping what I had said back in October 2022 and see if any of my visions came true and if you are looking to down few beers this could be the perfect time to do so because you can make a pretty simple drinking game out of this. Rules of course you can decide yourself because I don't know how enthusiastic you are about shit facing yourself so I'm going to just wash my hands out of that one, but just some food for thought for you. Alright bud, time to head to the last portion of this week's episode. First, we are going to check my predicted standings and then move onwards to check if my scoring leader, breakout player and hot take predictions held any water, and then we will finalize this whole shebang with my trophy predictions. Sound good? Okay. So let's get to it. Let's start from the Eastern Conference since back in October, that was where we began our season previews and more specifically the Atlantic Division. So my prediction back then was that the Leafs were going to take the division, Tampa finishing second and Bruins rounding out the top three, while the Sens were my wildcard team making the playoffs over Florida Panthers, but we all know how that actually ended. Then I had Detroit finishing at the 6th spot, Buffalo taking the 2nd to last place, and Montreal finishing with the best odds for landing Connor Bedard from the Atlantic. And well, the only on-pod prediction was the Habs who actually were the worst team in the division, but other than that, the standings looked quite a bit different at the end of 82 games. Luckily though, 
I was fairly on point with the playoff teams since, yes, of course, I left the Cats out of the playoff picture. But at the end of the day, they were the final team to even make it to the dance. So I'm not that bummed about it. And I had the Bruins in the picture as well, which was somewhat of a hot take back then as many analysts and even reporters had pushed them to the loser side before any games had been played. So at least I wasn't as out in the field as many, many others. But not totally horrible setup in my eyes. Ottawa obviously was the major disappointment, at least in my perspective. But after all, they were my dark horse candidate this year. So every now and again, you gotta throw the probabilities out the window and throw something in the wind and see if it actually sticks. In the Metro, I had Canes taking the top spot in the division, so I was on point with that one. I had Rangers taking the second spot and Penguins in the third spot, but that's where the predictions fall completely apart. I had Islanders taking the last remaining playoff spot as a wildcard team, so POB for me for that one, and that means a pat on the back. I had Caps on the fifth spot missing the playoffs, Devils on the sixth, same thing, so pretty much the real dark horse were the Devils, not the Senators. Wild Jackets and Flyers manned the last two spots in the division in that order, so that went sideways as well. But once again, Three out of four playoff teams predicted correctly. The final positions were a bit out of whack, but all in all, not that dramatic in the big picture. So, so far, so good. Next, we head to West and see if we can keep the streak going. Well, in the Pacific, I predicted that the Oilers were going to end their season as the top dog, but as we know, the privilege went to Vegas, who I had as the last team on the third spot to make it to the playoffs. While I had Edmonton's province rival Calgary Flames finishing in the second place, but that certainly didn't happen. I also had LA in the fourth spot missing the playoffs completely, so that was a whiff. I predicted that the Canucks were going to land on the fifth spot, so that as well was off by position. I saw Seattle finishing on the sixth place, so all that L for me as well. While the Ducks and Sharks were predicted to be the sore losers of this division in that specific order, so there was not one correctly predicted position in the Pacific, and only two out of four playoff teams were predicted correctly, so not a good start in the West, that's for sure. And it's time to check the final division standings from the preseason, the Central Division, and here fortunately I can see some light right at the far front since I had the Avs finishing as the top team, which became to be true. I don't know how, taking into account all their injuries, but nevertheless, but right after that, the L started pouring in once again because the second place in the preseason was reserved for the Blues and they didn't even end up making the playoffs, so I certainly ain't Nostradamus, that's for sure. I had Dallas finishing in the third spot, so at least I didn't have them outside of the playoff picture completely, while the fourth spot in my books was reserved for the Predators, who in fact didn't end up being that far away from the actual prediction itself, but since they didn't make the playoffs, we can write that off right away and continue to eat punches with the next picks as well. Since, according to my preseason prediction, I had the Minnesota Wild as the final wildcard team in the West, which isn't completely wrong, but they certainly weren't that bad this year. And in the sixth spot, I had the Winnipeg Jets, and since they made the playoffs as a wildcard team, here comes another L to the collection, so two out of four playoff teams guessed correctly again, so with that, we can come to a conclusion which states that West wasn't my strong suit this year at all. And to close out the Central, I had the Hawks beating the Yotes in the standings, so 
that is going to be the last blow to my ego. And we can start to go over my player predictions for this year. Oh yeah, and almost forgot. Ready for the real kicker. My conference semifinal teams ahead of the season were Avs and Oilers from the West, plus the Rangers and Penguins from the East. So fuck me sideways, right? Yeah, so let's head to player front where we can hopefully find a few more W's because we might end this episode prematurely if I end up making a complete fool of myself, which at this point seems like an inevitability, to be completely honest. So same thing, we will begin from the Atlantic Division and go team by team as we continue to laugh at my predictions, but since I've decided to publicly embarrass myself, why stop now, am I right? Yeah, exactly so. Let's just keep this train moving. And by the way, the aspects that we are going to focus on are going to be my scoring leader pick, breakout candidate, and a hot take on top of all else. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, those are pretty much the details which ended each team's breakdown. So for Bruins, I predicted that David Pasternak was going to be their top scorer at the end of the regular season, which actually became to be true. And the race wasn't even that close because he broke the 100-point mark and finished 46 points ahead of Marchand, so it wasn't really even a competition. I had Jeremy Swayman as the breakout candidate, and more so, my thinking was that he was going to steal the starting job from Ulmark this year, but they pretty much shared the crease, so you can be the judge if that prediction was on point. And finally, my hot take was that Balasaka would finish the year with plus 50 points and Although that might not sound that ridiculous at this point, I need to point out the fact that before this season he had spent six full years in the NHL, and his highest point total within that stint was 36 from year prior, so total of 21 point increase at least in my eyes was a pretty big ask, so I'm quite happy how that prediction eventually turned out. Then we moved to Buffalo, and to surprise of absolutely no one, I expected Tage Thompson to clinch the inner scoring title after his breakout year, and we all know how that came about. Meanwhile, my breakout player prediction was pointed towards Owen Power, and if you finish in the top three in color voting, I think you've made your breakout, so that one as well began to be true. And I even highlighted Jack Quinn's name in that episode as well, and he finished the year two points ahead of Power, so I think he easily could be one of the names included in next year's hot take alongside his possible point upside. And the final piece still missing is the hot take for the year, which was that Rasmus Dahlin was going to finish the season with plus 65 points. And from his first four years, his highest point total had been 53 from 21-22 campaigns, so another major improvement on the points department was needed. And that in fact ended up happening since the guy finished the year with 73 points, which was just five games away from point per game pace, so a terrific year for the Swedish blue liner was labeled as a bust by many fans that know nothing about hockey. So now it seems like we've turned the tide since we went 3 for 3 with Buffalo and the jury is still on regarding Swayman case, but after all this is exactly how the standings prediction started and the way was only downwards from that point, so let's just continue and see how far down the drain we eventually end up. And well, we didn't have to wait too long for the L's to start piling up since I can already tell you that the Detroit takes went totally ass backwards and here's the entire recap of that pile of you know exactly what. My scoring leader prediction, August Raymond, 34 points behind Larkin, awesome. Breakout candidate, or in fact candidates in this case, 
like can you imagine the ball size to go ahead and announce to the people that this team won't have just one but two breakout players well those balls can be found somewhere within my intestines at this point now that i've seen what i said and the names that i called out back then were elmer söderblom and simon edvinson and while both guys made their marks on the nhl level the overall impact was quite marginal so I definitely won't count that as a W. And finally, as a hot take, I said that they were going to make the playoffs as the third seed, but only marginal 18 points separated it from becoming reality, so not that close, I would say. And oh yeah, by the way, my dumbass thought out loud that it was extremely improbable that both Sider and Raymond would hit sophomore slumps, so... I dug my own grave in this case, plain and simple. Next we got the Florida Panthers and just like I predicted, after a hot start we start to uncontrollably barrel down the hill prediction-wise since here once again ain't that many that would hit the bullseye, so prepare to jug that beer if you decided to take a sip each time I get prediction wrong. Top scorer prediction, Alexander Barkov, 31 points off. Thanks, Matthew Kachuk and his plus 100-point campaign. Breakout name, Spencer Knight slash Rudolf Spalzers. The end result was that Knight headed to player assistant program at the final stretch of the hockey season, and Spalzers was claimed off waivers by the Bolts, so big lead the thumb for that one as well. And to close out the Cats' predictions, my hot take was tied to the standings since my estimate was that they were going to miss the playoffs entirely, so... I will dig that six feet under on top of the Detroit predictions and move on to Montreal. From Quebec, we at least find some predictions that weren't completely off the tracks because for starters, I predicted that Nick Suzuki would retain his scoring title, which was quite a home run guess because there really weren't too many other options that could have challenged him. And alongside it, I also predicted Cole Caulfield to be the team's top goal scorer and somewhat ridiculously that ended up happening despite the fact that he only played 46 games this year. And yes, he shared the top spot with Suzuki with 26 goals, but still, I count that as a W in this current climate. The conflict, though, arrives when we move to the breakout candidate prediction, since I had Caulfield as the obvious choice here and even fortified my prediction by saying that he was going to surpass at least the 30-goal mark, if not even 40. But since he missed half the season due to a shoulder injury, we didn't get to see him do that and... I would argue that he would have landed somewhere between 30 and 40 if he would have stayed healthy for the entire year. So, once again, you can be the judge in this case and if we should count that as a W or not. Partially, I would say no since I know that he's going to absolutely shatter that total next year if healthy, so I wouldn't be against it if we labeled that as a draw or a loss because I can hold that until next season and justify my selection again when the game start in October. And pretty much same thing applies to my hot take since it was quite a juicy one where I stated that Sean Monahan was going to return to a plus 45 point player. But since he only played 25 games this year, that was impossible to achieve. But his 17 points in 25 games could indicate that it could have happened once again if he would have stayed healthy. But if my grandma would have tires, she would have been a bike. So we can pretty much scratch that and save it for next year just like the previous prediction. 
in Ottawa we return to the L territory since I had predicted Alex to bring it as their top scorer, but thanks to Team Stutzler's monster year, he was left on the fourth spot. And even Claude Giroux beat him by a country mile thanks to his first line minutes. My breakup player this year was Shane Pinto, who was my stallion already the year before. And while 35 dots from 82 games isn't too shabby, I think that both Sanderson and Stutzler would have been better suited in that role and thus. I won't count it as a total breakout, but I might stick with him three years in a row, you never know. But finally we once again find something to celebrate since during the preseason I really believed in Tim Stutzler's breakout and predicted that he would surpass the 70 point mark this year as a hot take. And when you look at the scoring table and see him at the top with 90 dots, we can declare that as a great success like Borat would say and move on to our final two teams, Tampa Bay and Toronto. From Tampa we get a mixed bag of results since predicting Kucherov as their leading scorer was as easy as taking a lollipop from a child, but even with my strong belief in Anthony Shirelli, he didn't unfortunately end up making a real breakthrough like I expected after recovering from his injury. Ross Colton like I expected broke a single season point record so that's a small plus on the plus minus column and the major W here is that my hot take for the Bulls this year was that they were going to be eliminated in the very first round of the playoffs so I will take that to the bank all day and thank the Leafs for making this possible. And speaking of which, in Toronto the melody is pretty similar where the top point guy prediction went all over the ties thanks to Matthews' point drop and Marner clinching the top spot with 99 point campaign. And same goes with my breakout candidate Timothy Lilligren who I expected to surpass the 35 point mark, but the guy couldn't even reach 20 dots this year so that's down the hatch. But then when it comes to hot take, it is pretty well tied to the Bolts one since this year I finally predicted that they would make it out of the first round so talk about coincidence when it comes to these two teams. Or did I just have some inside knowledge from Gary? Well regardless, Atlantic predictions weren't completely off the grid so I'm quite happy with that and we had some major W's alongside Big L so at least at this point I'm quite settled with the results but we still have three divisions remaining so let's just move to Metro to crush my hopes once again. And just as I remembered the predictions on Carolina's part didn't really go as planned and it already starts with their top point guy since surprisingly Seppo Aho didn't finish the year as the top dog because Martin Natchez broke out of his cage and banged home 71 dots from 82 games and beat Aho by 4 points who missed 7 games during the regular season. Breakout wise I expected Seth Jarvis to do pretty much what Natchez did because I had predicted him to flirt with 65 point mark but he left 25 points on the table for that to actually happen so Nature's bump once again came a year early so hopefully Jarvis is the next guy to first break the 50 point threshold and then reach the 65 mark later on. And then when it comes to hot take, well this time the take really was a hot one since back in October I said that Slavin was going to reach 60 points and with that would be in the Norris conversation but 82 games and 27 points later we can come to a conclusion where Brent Burns would have probably been the better option from their first pairing. So not a great start for the Metro division. Jackets are again a mixed bag when it comes to predictions since no one was probably surprised when I said that Johnny Hockey was going to be their top scorer this year. 
and that not that surprisingly held truth until the final game of the season. And a Walmart breakout candidate Adam Bolquist had a promising season under blue line point wise. He didn't reach the 40 point mark which I said as a benchmark. And since he only played 46 games this year and registered 24 dots in those, I would say that it wouldn't have been too far from it. So I guess it's a small W in that sense, but certainly Kent Johnson would have been the clear pick for that spot since he registered 40 points in his rookie campaign and was a runner-up for the Calder because of it. And even Kirill Marchenko and his 21 goal total from 59 games could have challenged Bolquist, so I won't check that box quite yet, but there's always next year, so we'll see if he ends up on my list then again. And lastly, when it comes to hot take, well, it didn't quite go according to plan since I had Patrick Lynette breaking the 50 goal mark for the first time in his career this year, but... Due to injuries and inconsistent play, that was never going to happen, so although almost point per game pace in 55 games is extremely decent, it ain't 50 tucks, so we can just leave it at that and move on to New York metropolitan area, where we will find our next three teams. The Devils are at first, and seemingly I didn't give a hot take for this team this year, or at least I didn't notice it, so... The only predictions we have to go through concern their top score and breakout player, but since I named number 86 for both of those, we will check both boxes and swiftly move on to Long Island. First, I predicted that he was easily going to surpass the point per game mark, and right in the next sentence I said to anticipate a plus 80 point campaign, so go figure what that guy was really talking about back in the day. But now knowing that he even forgot to give a hot take, we can comfortably point out that more than likely he wasn't 100% sober during the recording of that episode. Islanders predictions once more follow the same patterns as few other ones where I wasn't completely out to lunch but certainly all of them were not totally on point either. First of all, I was expecting Matt Barzal to take the scoring title to himself but due to late season injury he ended up missing over 20 games of regular season action which gave Brock Nelson the opportunity to run with it and he ended up beating Barzell by 24 points. So, in a perfect scenario, they would have been neck and neck after 82 games, but we ain't living in that fantasy land, that's for sure. Noah Dobson didn't quite reach the 65-point mark I said for him before the season, but it was undoubtedly the only notable youngster in the squad with more than a handful of points. And when it comes to my hot take... I would say that I was quite on point since I predicted that Elias Rockin would win the Vesna Trophy at the end of the regular season. And since the voting experienced some controversy, I'm going to flag it as a W since he was by far the best goaltender in the regular season. And the only reason Omar took it home was the fact that his team had just won the President's Trophy after a record-breaking season with a beast of a goalie tandem. So say what you want, but check the stats, and you may see that I might have something in that statement. And similar story is also attached to the Rangers, since my scoring leader prediction was 100% correct, as Artemi Panarin capped off a 90.2 campaign but disappeared in the playoffs. But as we move to breakout candidate speculation, the tide turns quite quickly due to Alexis Lafreniere's sub-40 point campaign. I had said 50 points as the benchmark, and if the scoring pace continues, we may end up seeing him break that within two years because the pace hasn't been anything special quite yet, but luckily though, I was wise enough to point out K. Andre Miller's name and say that he was going to become a well-known name around the league, 
and a 43-point campaign from the blue line pretty much proves my point. But then when it comes to hot take, I can only take half of the glory attached to it since I announced in October that Patrick Kane was going to arrive in the Big Apple this year, which funny enough ended up happening, but... With that same breath, I also declared the Rangers as the new Stanley Cup champion, so there we come to the crossroad which I talked about earlier. So all I have to say is thanks Rangers for completely fucking up my playoff bracket, and with that, let's move on to Pennsylvania and see how well my Flyers and Penguins predictions actually matured. Well, the answer is fairly mixed once again, at least in Philly, since prior to the season, I pretty much just stated that their top scorer was going to be someone who didn't get shipped elsewhere at the deadline. And well, yes, that became to be true, but my pick eventually ended up being Cam Atkinson, who didn't play any games for them this year, so I can shove that up my bumper right away. But when it comes to breakout player prediction, I was at least in the same ballpark since my prediction was that their forward Noah Cates who really stood out in this lackluster flyer squad this year by recording 38 dots from 82 games, which wasn't that expected to say the least. But more than likely either Morgan Frost or Owen Tippett would have been the more favorable options point-wise as both passed the 45-point mark and really stood out in this year's Flyers organization. So not a terrible take, but not on point either, I would say. And finally, when it comes to hot take, well... That goes in the same hole as the first pick since my juicy pick for this year for them was that Tony D'Angelo and Ton Tortorella wouldn't bite heads and... Since we all know that that didn't happen, we can cross that off the list as well. Although, it being thrown in there with some tongue and cheek, so let's just head to Pittsburgh next. Here the total isn't as good as in Philly since right from the get-go my scoring leader prediction went completely sideways since I visioned Jake Gensel taking the top spot due to injuries to their old guard of Crosby and Malkin, but at the end of the day, these two took the top spot by a quite a large margin, so you know where you can find that prediction from as well. And since we got that train moving already, why try to stop it now because the breakout prediction was just as woeful as the first one since I purely just glanced over P.O. Joseph due to his preseason trade rumors so I ended up settling for Samuel Poulain who ended up spending just three games up top and you can guess that the impact wasn't massive. But to top the pen squad off we finally get some glimmers of light to the otherwise dark place since as a hot take I had them missing the playoffs contrary to my official picks so Although I completely dismissed my official take, I was right and they were left out of the playoff picture despite it not being up to any major injury was this year, unlike expected. So that is the recap for them and next we'll move on to the final team of the Metropolitan Division, the Washington Capitals, and after that we will keep the pace and swiftly move on to punish myself even more by going over the same details from every Western Conference team. And luckily we get to end the Eastern Conference with some positivity since here I wasn't that far from reality with my takes because four starters, their scoring leader ended up being Alex Jerovechkin to surprise of absolutely no one. So that at least earns me a golden ticket which we will take home every time we can. Then we had to break out candidate and here we step off the path by a small margin since my prediction was Alexei Protash and him reaching 20 to 25 points this year and... Although it wasn't that far from reality thanks to his 15-point total from 58 games, it wasn't the best possible option since Dylan Strom really broke out this year alongside Ovi and finished the season with 65 points from 81 games, so 
in my mind, he would have been the more suitable option for that spot. But like I said, we get to end things here on a positive note since my hot take for the Cavs was that Ovechkin was going to miss the 45 goal mark and that became reality as he was only able to record 42 this year to his name while also predicting them to miss the playoffs completely. So I can safely check those boxes as well. And with that, we are done with the Eastern Conference. And in total, I would say not a totally horrific count. And if you're asking, I'm certainly not going to keep score here because that would only cause depression. So we will just roll with that and move to West so that we can keep this thing going. And I don't have to end the episode prematurely. In the West, we are going to start things from the Pacific Division and first team on the board is going to be the Anaheim Ducks and seemingly the positive trend has followed me at least to our first team across the continent since the first two predictions went pretty much according to plan as first Trevor Zegers finished the year as the top point provider and then Mason McTavish finished the year as their breakout player with plus 40 points to his name. But just so that things wouldn't go too well, we take a small step back with our hot takes. Since in October, I said that Max Jones was going to start his comeback campaign after only being able to dress in 48 games for the Ducks in two prior seasons by putting up plus 35 points. But when you see that his total shows just 19 dots from 69 games, we can move right past it. And even my bonus pick, Ryan Strom's career high 60 points, proved to be straight from my own imagination. We will move to Calgary and see if we can add to our overall positive vibe. Well, the simple answer is no, since, as we know, Jonathan Huberdeau just experienced the biggest point drop from the prior season in the entire NHL history, and since he was my pick for their inner scoring title, we can straight up scratch that and move back to more positive subjects. Since my breakup prediction ended up being on point this time as Dylan Dubé broke the 40-point mark, and was more than likely the surprising name to do so on the roster. Hot take on the other hand was quite tame because I had them in the playoff picture in the preseason and couldn't imagine them missing the playoffs entirely, so I just straight up said that they were eventually going to make the playoffs, but from the wild card spot, so wasn't that far away, but far enough for me to forget this pick and start heading towards Edmonton in hopes of getting more positive results. Well, from Edmonton, we received another mixed bag since, to no one's surprise, I didn't bet against McDavid when it came to scoring later at the end of 82 games. So that was as easy as it gets, and I really didn't even point out one guy to be their breakout player and just glanced over names McLeod, Holloway, and Skinner. So I really don't know what the thought process there has been. Skinner obviously would have been the home run pick, but since I didn't name just one player, we will let it be. While the hot take once again takes me back to reality thanks to my Stanley Cup take, so since we all know that they were eliminated once again by the eventual Cup winner, we can just rip off the band-aid and move on to a team that they beat in their first round matchup. While the ship starts crashing down once again in LA because Adrian Kempe didn't end up being their top scorer this year thanks to Anze Kopitar and Kevin Fiala's 72-point total from 69 games, but if we would have only counted goals, he would have been the standalone name, that's for sure. Breakup player though was right on point due to Gabe Villardi breaking the 40-point mark and Sean Darcy closely following him with 38 dots from 72 games, so those went pretty well. And you may even add in Arthur Kaliev's name who also increased his point totals this year as I expected in the preseason. 
But the hot take, on the other hand, didn't go according to plan since my prediction was that they were going to invest heavily at the deadline, which would have pushed them far in the playoffs. But after another first round exit, we can safely say that only one of those aspects became to be true. So with that, we can just move on to San Jose. Well, Sharks' predictions weren't completely disastrous since this team's future was so much in the air prior to the season that my calculated guesses were right in that alley as well. But one thing is at least clear, and that is the fact that Timo Meyer, Thomas Hurdle, or Logan Couture didn't end up being their top scorer because Eric Carlson's legendary year prevented that from happening. And since Thomas Bordello's overall impact for the team ended up being quite marginal to assist in eight games, I really wouldn't count it as a breakout since, for example, Alexander Barabanov's 47-point campaign was way more impressive and once again proved that my prediction was one year too early. So maybe Bordelow ends up making a difference next year when he's not the player that I'm going to focus on. And finally, when it comes to hot take, I really can't recall if this was really on the table back then, but... I predicted that Timo Meyer was going to head elsewhere despite Hurdle's resigning, and alongside that move would earn a lucrative deal from the team he was traded to. So I guess that can be marked as a W because both of those aspects became to be true, but I'll give you the honors to give my sentence regarding this hot take. Seattle's predictions once again follow a similar path where we get some Ws but also receive major Ls, so... For starters, Andre Burakowski didn't end up being the team's top scorer at the end of 82 games, mostly thanks to injuries, but also due to Jared McCann's terrific year with 70 dots from 79 games. But my breakup prediction, on the other hand, ended up being quite on point as Matthew Beniers finished the season with plus 50 points. And I guess you could make an argument for McCann, Dunn or Sprung because Beniers was the obvious one here. But like I said, I'll take any wins I can get. But then the curve starts heading downwards once again with my hot take since I predicted that they were going to head to the NHL entry draft with two lottery picks via deadline acquisitions. But since we know that they made some noise in the playoffs, we can just write that off alongside the real hot take of their netminders reaching above 0.910 save percentages. And we arrive in Vancouver and here again we notice that the host has enjoyed one too many alcoholic beverages ahead of the recording since the breakout prediction has gone missing completely, and overall the takes are pretty much just all over the place, so I will just pretend to know that JT Miller's scoring leader prediction wasn't the right one. But the hot take on the other hand came to fruition as Elias Pedersen finished the year with plus 80 points to his name and even ended up surpassing that with flying colors, so that at least wasn't hard to judge when trying to understand what I tried to say back in October. And the last team in the Pacific Division will be the Vegas Champion Knights, whose cup win certainly wasn't the most obvious choice back when I prepared these preseason predictions. But that fortunately didn't mean that my guesses were going to be totally out of whack since I had Jack Eichel as their top scorer this year, and that came true as he finished just one point from point per game pace with 66 dots from 67 games. And also, I predicted that Logan Thompson was going to steal their crease and challenge for the Calder because that pretty much was the case until his unfortunate injury at the back half of the season, which eventually led to Stuart Skinner blowing right past him and being amongst the trio that was up for Calder in the NHL awards. But with that, we are done with the Pacific Division, and the only remaining division left is the Central, so 
let's just keep this thing rolling and go through the final picks from the 2022-2023 preseason. Arizona will be the first team out the gates, but clearly the boost started to affect the outcome at this point because once again the hot take for this team is seemingly missing, but we are still going to continue our march onwards regardless. Clayton Keller ended up being their top scorer just I expected, and some may even say that my breakout star nominee Barrett Hayden would fit the description with his first plus 40-point campaign, but in my mind the Finn, Matthias Magelli and his 49-point season would have been the top option, so I'll once again leave that to the jury to judge. And I don't know if my take on Nick Ritchie having a solid season point was and getting traded at the deadline was the hot take, but if so, that could be counted as a W as well, so I'll just take that with me and move on to the other big winner of this year's NHL season. In Chicago, the same trend continues since once again we seem to be missing the hot take, so I may need to file a complaint due to lack of content, but when it comes to top score prediction, once again, on point. Max Domi at the top with 49 points, and since two out of my three breakout candidates had fairly strong showings in the Hawks uniform, I'm going to count that. And just for clarification, those guys were Taylor Radish, 37 points this year, and the fourth highest point total in the entire team. Lucas Reichel, 23 games and 15 dots, and these were the guys I referred to, while Philip Kurashev was the only guy that didn't suit in that role, with just a total of 25 points from 70 games. And seemingly the lack of hot takes wasn't just a lapse in concentration since in Colorado it seemingly was missing once again, so I guess we will just go with what we have, and in this case, the predictions weren't as on point as with our previous teams of the same division. First, I predicted Mick Corantanen to retain his spot in their inner scoring title, but after 82 games Nathan McKinnon was the top dog with 111 points, but... What eases the pain in this case is the fact that I also pointed out that I was expecting to see plus 100 point campaigns for both of their top scorers, so that prediction at least was 100% correct. Meanwhile, the only aspect that was nowhere near completion was Kale McCarr's point total since I expected to see him passing the 80 point mark, but since he missed 22 games of regular season action he was only able to reach 66 points this year, so... It's all speculation, but without his injury, I fully believe that that prediction would have hit bullseye as well, but it is what it is at the end of the day. And same also applies to my breakout candidate, since once again I pumped Bowen Byron's stars ahead of the season, but thanks to lingering health issues, he was only able to dress in 42 games for the Avs this year, and a 24-point total, at least in my mind, doesn't really ooze breakout status when you take a look at the other guys that have achieved that status earlier in this week's episode. So not a totally brutal, but not on point either. And as we move to Dallas, I may have to scratch my previous thought of not featuring any hot takes for the central team since, miraculously, we find them once again from Texas, but that won't change the overall outlook since first we have to tackle the top score prediction and breakout candidate to get to the hot take itself. And when it comes to the scoring leader, I was on point with it when saying that Jason Robertson was going to surpass the 80-point mark this year, and since he did that with flying colors by reaching 109 dots overall, I can check that box off, and I guess the breakout prediction can be counted as a W as well since I predicted Ty Delandria to cement his spot on their four lines 
and specifically said that I was not expecting massive point totals out of him due to their top-heavy offense, so I guess 28 points is enough to at least satisfy me. But with my hot take, the small slide starts again because I predicted Jake Ottinger to be one of the Vesna candidates, and despite plus 919 save percentage and sub 2.5 all goals against average, he wasn't one of the names featured in the best goaltender conversation, so couple of W's and one L is my overall total from Dallas this year. Mini is up next and yet again, the so juicy hot take is missing, but as I said, we just have to roll with what we have and fill the creator's inbox with hate messages. But when it comes to top scorer and breakout player, they were fairly on point since Kirill the Thrill finished the season as their top point guy, and Matt Baldy ended up wowing some people with his scoring. The only thing missing here was him surpassing the 65-point mark, which was only two points away, so I'm not going to be too harsh with that, and I'm going to shove that take straight to my back pocket. Then we hit the Smashville, where the predictions once again start to really fall into pieces, beginning with my top scorer candidate, Philip Forsberg, who was left 17 points behind Roman Yossi, who took the top spot for the Preds this year. My breakout player prediction though wasn't as tragic since despite the fact that Eli Tolvanen was claimed off waivers, I couldn't predict that to happen, so when you see that he was able to put up 41 points in 61 games, you can just hand me the W in this case, while Tommy Novak's emergence came out of nowhere to all of us, so that could certainly challenge my take. And finally, when it comes to my hot take, Nino Niederreiter reaching 60 points. Well... We can just leave it at that and move on to our final two teams of this week's episode. First up, we got the St. Louis Blues, who I had big hopes for, but their inconsistent play ended up pushing them outside of the playoff picture. And on that same boat were my predictions as well for this team, unfortunately. First off, Pavel Buznevich didn't end up being their top scorer this year. And second of all, both Jake Neighbors and Joel Hofer didn't have as big of an impact as to what I was expecting them to have this year on their lineup. So, 0 out of 2 so far, and my hot take won't turn the tide either since back in October, I took a deep breath and decided to say that Jordan Binnington was going to be in the top 5 of Vesna voting, and since all he did was throw temper tantrums on the ice and let in soft goals all year around, I went 0-4-3, which will lead us to the final team of this week's episode, the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets, though, bring the final glimmers of light to my trash pile since Kyle Connor ended up being their top scorer just as I had predicted, and at this point, I will take anything I can get, so I'm going to count Cole Perfetti's 30-point total from 51 games as a small breakout, while of course Josh Morris's 76 points in 78 games would have obviously been the clear number one option for this segment. I also said as a hot take that Perfetti would be in the top three in color voting, but since the names ended up being Beniers, Power and Skinner, we have to scratch that and come to a conclusion that, thanks to a mediocre result, I retain my obligation to do this ahead of the next season as well. And if I would have to give myself a grade for the combined takes, I would give myself a solid 7 out of 10 in a 4 to 10 scale. There were obviously some glaring misses, especially standing-wise, but since I had some decent hot takes, for example, that were on point, and I didn't strike out too many times, I'm fairly happy with the overall outlook. And of course, try to improve before the puck drops again for another hockey season in next October. 
And oh yeah, almost forgot we might want to check the trophy predictions as well, so let's just quickly tackle those before we end this week's episode. So Jack Adams award went to Tim Montgomery, who was my honorable mention alongside my number one option, Bruce Cassidy, who obviously didn't have a pathetic year this year. <clears throat> Stanley Cup. William M. Jennings trophy went to Boston Standem of all Mark and Swayman instead of Islander Standem, which was my pick back then. Selka went to its owner, Patrice Bergeron, just as I expected, and Mark Stone was my nomination just to bring some spice into the mix. While both Mike Calder and Rocket Richard trophy predictions were 100% on point with Maddie Beniers and Connor McJesus. Norris didn't end up in Mile High City like I expected, and Eric Carlson ended up taking it home after his 100-point campaign, and Hart Trophy obviously went to McDavid just as I expected, so individual awards were mostly on point, which was somewhat surprising when taking a look at the rest of my predictions. Team-wise, my only predictions were Canes for President's Trophy, and I guess I wasn't that far away from the truth since they finished the year second overall in the league standings, and obviously my Rangers Stanley Cup prediction died during their first round of playoffs, so that's that for the Dream Trophy predictions. But with that said, we have once again arrived to the end of this week's show. I hope that you enjoyed a bit more relaxed episode, and If you want to fact check all these things I've said in this episode, the episodes you may want to look for are the 50th and the 51st aka the season previews, so go right ahead and see if I bullshitted you at any point during this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate your continuous support and leave a fat 5-star rating for the podcast on Spotify and check the media handles from the description because it helps the show to grow more than you would ever expect. Thank you for your time. It is very much appreciated. I hope you have an awesome week ahead of you. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Rock.